Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 the el conservador radio show is sponsored by the federation for american immigration reform and george rodriguez on 9 30 a.m the answer time for the el conservador radio show with george rodriguez George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, howdy, howdy once again, my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from Washington, D.C. on this September, on this Saturday, September the 24th. 2022. Let me tell you what I'm doing here and uh, who our guests are real quick. Uh, I am attending the uh, the uh, Federation for American Immigration Reform Radio Row, which is a uh, which is a uh, convention, a conference, a group of uh, radio hosts from across the country uh, who uh, are brought together by FAIR so that we can interview uh, the movers and shakers uh, of the conservative uh, immigration, uh, messaging. And we've been here, uh, for, for a couple of days. It's excellent. And, uh, I have some great, um, uh, uh, some great guests for you that we will be, uh, sharing with you over the next couple of weeks. Um, we, I've gotten about 15 interviews and unfortunately I can't have them all on the same day, uh, for you, but, uh, I'm going to stagger them out over the next couple of, uh, weeks. Uh, so you'll be able to hear excellent people talking about uh, the issue of uh, illegal immigration and the border crisis. So who do we have today? Well, uh, we have uh, some wonderful, uh, uh, I mean, some really, really great specialists. We have Mr. Andrew Arthur, Mr. Mark Krikorian, and uh, Mr. Steve Caramaru, uh, Camarado, excuse me. Uh, all of them from the Center for Immigration Studies, they're going to be chatting, they're going to be talking to us about various aspects of the border crisis that are impacting on us. Uh, everything from the economy and uh, the job market uh, to the issue of uh, uh, education to um, just the economic impact that we're, we're going to start feeling, my friends. It is an absolute reality and uh unfortunately we've got uh, we've already got uh, some problems economically we also have uh, mr john zadrozny who is with the uh, america first legal foundation he's going to be chatting with us about um the legal challenges that they are now beginning to mount that are beginning to mount substantial ones against the biden administration over there not uh, them not uh uh taking care of the border them not uh, carrying out the constitutional uh, uh, responsibility that they have to protect the nation. Uh, our other, our final guest is uh, Mr. Um, Jeffrey Atticut, who is from San Antonio, who is at the St. Mary's University, who is a professor at St. Mary's University and an expert in terrorism. I don't know how many of you have heard, but there have been a bunch, about 78 terrorists that have been identified that have been caught at the border. Who knows how many have not been caught? So, my friends, Without further ado, let's go to our first guest. Thank you for joining us today. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from uh, Washington, D.C., here at the FAIR uh, Radio Row Convention. And we've got Mr. Andrew Arthur, resident fellow uh, in law and policy for the Center for Immigration Studies. Uh, I wanted to ask uh, Andrew, uh, talk to us, give us an update of what you're seeing re with regards to the law along the border and in immigration, as well as this situation that has recently uh, arisen with um, the Bear County Sheriff 
uh, assuming the law, <laughs> assuming that he's on the side of the law, and uh, going after the uh, the governor of Florida over human trafficking, as he puts it. Welcome to the show. Talk to us. Well, you know, uh, those are all great questions, and you know, I am now marking my 30th year in immigration law. Uh, I was an advisor to Janet Reno on immigration, if you can imagine such a thing. But the reason uh, that I bring that up is because you know I've served under various administrations, like, you know, go all the way back to uh, the first George Bush. And each one of them had a policy of deterrence at the southwest border. Uh, they wanted to limit the number of illegal entrants coming into the United States. Uh, they wanted to ensure that the border was secure. They wanted to make sure uh, that the immigration courts could function properly. This is the first administration in history that has ever uh, abandoned that policy of deterrence. The uh, Biden administration's policy is to put all of those people into uh, the immigration system as quickly as possible, and by doing that, to hide what's going on at the border. Uh, we've never seen border numbers like this uh, before. Uh, by today, more than 2 million illegal entrants will have been apprehended by Border Patrol. That's not even counting the folks coming through the ports. You, by comparison, the largest number in history up to this point was about 1.643 million back in 2000. That was before September 11th. Uh, when we, you know, when Congress moved to beef up the border, to beef up the authority the Border Patrol had, and to almost double the Border Patrol force. So, you know, this is, um, you know, a situation we've never seen because we have an administration that has abandoned deterrence as a policy in lieu of treating everyone who shows up, regardless of the reason, as a potential asylum seeker. That'll allow them to come into the United States and remain here for seven, eight years. But you and I both know that once they're in, they're in and they're never leaving. With respect to the uh, Bear County Sheriff, it's interesting. You know, I was a prosecutor. I was a judge. Uh, and normally, and my family's been involved in law enforcement for decades, normally uh, police identify a crime and then go after the malefactor. In this particular instance, they're going after the malefactor and trying to figure out what crime there is. This is a situation in which the Bear County Sheriff simply doesn't like what uh, what Governor DeSantis did. And he's a, a person that I know very well. I was his staff director uh, when he was with Congress at the National Security uh, Subcommittee. And he's always walked the walk. He's always uh, been laser-focused on national security. This is a man who served as uh, a lawyer to the SEALs. This is a- it's very interesting to us because in the same breath that he is condemning uh, Governor DeSantis, uh, he himself has stated that he supports the migrants, as he called them, who are illegal aliens. So I'm not sure, you know, what laws he's thinking about. Yeah, you know, it is interesting. Uh, I'm a Catholic. We often talk about cafeteria Catholics, people who pick and choose from amongst church doctrine as uh, suits their attitudes. <laughs> this is a situation in which, you know, we have, and, he, you know, he's not alone, but in which he is a cafeteria law enforcement officers. Certain, you know, crimes are serious, certain crimes aren't and can just be ignored. This is a big problem that we're seeing across our country. Uh, in Baltimore, Marilyn Mosby, uh, you know, state's attorney there, up in New York with Alvin Bragg, out in California, we just saw Chesa Bodine, another person who, you know, thought that he could pick and choose which laws are serious to him. So, um, George Gascon in Los Angeles is another one. So, yeah, you know, he is part of that phenomenon. This is something that I you know, never imagined growing up. I grew up with, you know, Adam 12, where the cops went out and picked up the malefactors. And, you know, the early days of law and order, you know, where the police arrest people and, you know, they're put into the justice and prosecute them and they go into the justice system and, you know, they uh, get convicted or not. We've completely moved away from that. We've moved away from the idea that uh, that we have borders, that those borders should be secured. Even President Obama back in September, last September, in an interview said, you know, unlimited immigration is impossible. Borders have to be secured. And again, you know, I, I go back on my experience. The Obama administration was actually one of the best administrations in history in actually controlling the border. During the periods that he was president, uh, you know, especially when Jay Johnson was his Secretary of Homeland Security, they understood that the border needed to be secured. Johnson, uh, you know, famously quoted a couple of years back that every morning he would get the Border Patrol uh, apprehension numbers. And, you know, if there were more than a thousand people, it was going to be a bad day. We're getting 8,000 people at the southwest border every day, George. The, you know, the, the entire capacity is swamped. And what 
the uh, sheriff of Bear County is complaining about is, you know, he's blaming DeSantis, but in reality, he's complaining about this system in which, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, you know, million people have been released into the United States, uh, you know, and the law has been disregarded. Now, of course, I think he's got higher ambitions, national ambitions, but, um, you know, he's got this completely backward. Governor Abbott, uh, Governor Ducey in Arizona, Governor DeSantis, uh, you know, and a lot of uh, government officials in states like Louisiana and Missouri understand this is a problem. This is a problem for their school for the communities because they only have they could only raise so many taxes you know to uh, provide for people when we get a large number of individuals and again you know I, I, I come from a family uh, in which my father never went to college he was a steel worker um, he didn't you know he had some you know very basic skills uh, and very little education but you know we're getting huge numbers of people coming to this country uh, with, you know, very low levels of education, if any education at all, and, uh, you know, very few job skills. It's, you know, it's going to adversely affect the most disadvantaged members of our population, you know, those who are trying to get their first job, those who, you know, were in these, you know, hellish schools in inner cities where they didn't get a good education. Their lives are, are just and those are supposedly the the people that the Democrats claim that they defend. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, you know, when I say these things, you know, I'm not speaking for myself. Barbara Jordan, who, as you know, is a congresswoman from Houston, civil rights icon, when she was chairman of President Clinton, another person who was very strong on uh, border enforcement, when she was chairman of his uh, Commission on Immigration Reform, she said exactly that. The immigration laws uh, need to be written in such a way that they protect the most disadvantaged members of society. And by that, she meant inner city youth, members of minority groups who have been uh, who have been discriminated against in the past, and legal immigrants who have just gotten here. We've completely turned that upside down. We've forgotten all those lessons. We forgot the lessons of September 11th. The September 11th report goes into you know great detail about the importance of the border, about knowing who is in the United States, and about erecting checkpoints to make sure that there are people, uh, that the people who are in this country are not going to do harm to our country and institutions. George, I hate to say this, I'm the, you know, former chief of the National Security Law Division at the old INS. So, you know, I was the chief terrorist prosecutor of the United States. And, you know, we are back in a September 11th mindset, and I'm afraid that this one's going to end worse than the last one. Yeah, the uh, latest um, figures uh, as of um, uh, September 20th, uh, 2022 were that 57 uh, illegal aliens who were on the terrorist list had been apprehended. So heaven only knows how many have not. Yeah, and to put that into context, George, that is more uh, illegal entrants on the terrorist watch list than have been apprehended in the previous five years. Double that. It's double that total number the last five years. The, you know, our rule of thumb back when I was working for Ms. Reno, and again, if we had you know, one person from Afghanistan show up at the border. Janet Reno gave me a call in the middle of the night. We're in a situation now where people who are on the terrorist watch list are getting apprehended. Um, and released. And released. And released into the United States. You know, and we've seen uh, at least one, you know, famous case of that because the fellow was overweight and they didn't want to worry about you. They didn't want to keep track of his uh, sugar levels while he was in uh, detention. But, yeah, I mean, this is... Uh, you know, this is a situation in which we have forgotten all the lessons of 9-11, but we've also forgotten what the 9-11 Commission itself said. Border security is national security, but the border has, it's non-existent. This isn't open borders, this is just no borders. <laughs> this is beyond that. Andrew, thank you very, very much for spending some time with us. Um, any last closing thoughts that you'd like to leave with us? Yeah, no, I mean... Uh, one thing uh, that we have seen is in recent polling, uh, probably because of Governor DeSantis's actions, Governor Abbott's, Governor Ducey's, is that immigration is moving to the fore. This is going to be uh, a real issue in the November election. Now, whether or not the Republicans 
you know, take that up, capitalize on it, capitalize on it is a different issue. But, you know, if you don't represent your uh, constituents soon, you won't represent your constituents, as we say on Capitol Hill. So, you know, but if the Republicans are able to capitalize on the issue, if they're able to offer real solutions, and they do have real solutions, then it's going to be a path to victory. If they don't, they're going to spend two more years in the minority. Thank you very much. We've been speaking with our good friend, Mr. Andrew Arthur, with the Center for Immigration Studies. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Howdy, howdy. And once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from Washington, D.C. at the uh, FAIR conference. And uh, we've got our good friend, uh, Mr. Mark Krikorian, from uh, the Center for Immigration Studies. And uh, I wanted to ask uh, Mark about the situation with the sheriff in Bear County who has uh, claimed that he is going to investigate as to whether or not any laws were broken uh, in the transporting of uh, illegal aliens to Martha's Vineyard, other than culturally offending people. (laughs) Uh, Mark, what are your thoughts on this? It's just a political stunt. Um, Now, obviously... Um, it was kind of a political stunt to send people to Martha's Vineyard to begin with. And that's okay. Politics is partly theater, and that's, you know, he was sending an important point. But in a sense, what the sheriff, and there are other people like this who are trying to do, is basically they're trying to take away from the embarrassment effect effect of doing this, showing up these sanctuary city people as the hypocrites they are, by trying to change the subject. There's obviously no laws broken. Everybody was had signed releases. They even had pictures on the internet of the flyers they gave people about phone numbers in Martha's Vineyard and all of that stuff. So this is, it's just a, an attempt to distract attention from how ridiculous the open borders slash sanctuary people look because once they can have all the signs they want about no human being is illegal, all are welcome here, and then you bring some people there and they're like, no, 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 NIMBY, NIMBY, no illegals in my backyard. Now, the uh, the uh, other situation that has been very curious to us is that uh, we've been uh, covering, uh, I have been personally covering the um, uh, migrant center there in San Antonio for the past eight weeks, and there has been no media attention until suddenly last Friday when the story broke out, and now the place is crawling with reporters. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that was kind of the point of both Governor Abbott's efforts and Governor DeSantis is to force the media to cover the border immigration issue because there was a blackout on it. They don't want to talk about it. Their guy in the White House would look bad if they covered it too much. So they just they've tried not to talk about it. Now they have to. When when a busload of people is dropped off in front of the vice president's house in Washington, the media have to cover it. They can't ignore it. When the, you know, people were flown into Martha's Vineyard, they could fulminate and stamp their feet all they want. They still have to cover it. That's the thing. And that's what they don't want to have to do. What you're seeing at your migrant shelter is just sort of the follow-on consequence. They're saying, oh my gosh, this is a news story. We have to cover it. We don't have any choice. Let's go see where these people came from. Now, uh, the Center for Immigration Studies, uh, what uh, what specific issues uh, are you guys covering at this point or in your office? Well, uh, we're a think tank that looks at pretty much the whole spectrum of immigration issues. So we've uh, done a thing about how many how much the illegal population has increased during the Biden administration. It looks like about 1.3 million increase in the illegal population. And there's more illegals than that came in, but there's always some illegals who stop being illegal. So the increase in the illegal alien population is 1.3 million at least. Um, and, you know, that's that's something people need to know. And, uh, you know, we're, we look at the whole broad, like we look at particular regulations. The Biden administration rolled back, canceled an administration, a, a rule that the Trump people had put in to limit welfare use by legal immigrants. In other words, if you're applying for a green card, you have to show that you're not going to be a burden on the taxpayer. And so what the Trump people did was basically take that idea but put some structure to it, have some rule, because this, in other words, have some specific rules. Um, they, this administration said, oh my gosh, you know, we can't have people turned away because they're using welfare. Um, it's really ridiculous. So it's that kind of stuff, both regulations as well as, you know, government statistics. Now, my understanding is that the um, foreign-born population in the United States in general has has grown. 
quite significantly, actually. Um, it seems to have the growth slowed during COVID, but our estimate is, and there's two different Census Bureau sources, it's more, if you, if you really want to know, you can read it at cis.org, but our get, best guess is there's 47 million uh, foreign-born people. So that's that's including people who are naturalized citizens, anybody who wasn't Amer- an American citizen at birth. Illegal aliens, green card holders, everything. 47 million, that's huge. And it's approaching the highest percentage it's ever been. Within a few years, it'll be, it'll break the percentage record from like 100 plus years ago. And no reason to think it won't just keep going up from there. Now, with a population that large, uh, whether they entered legally or illegally, and with the attitude of diversity, do you think that we will ever be able to Americanize, to acculturate uh, this number of immigrants? There's two things we need to do to be able to successfully Americanize immigrants. One is we've got to reduce the numbers. So that the people who are here and the the people who the immigrants who are here and Americans can kind of knit together and you know assimilation can happen. The other thing is, and this is not an immigration thing, but we need to get past this racialized nonsense and putting people in categories. You know, it's it's complete hokum. You tell an immigrant from let's say Ecuador, oh, you're now a Hispanic. It's like, well, what the heck is that? You know, I'm Ecuadorian is what I am. And it's the same. And in fact, under Obama, they were trying to make a group, a minority ethnic group called Middle Eastern North African, M-E-N-A, MENA. So there would be affirmative action for people from, you know, Jordan and Morocco. Um, my, I wouldn't count because my ancestors came from just north of the Syrian border, and that's like where they were going to draw the line. It's complete ridiculous nonsense, but it's destructive. And so that was stopped. Some good, some good people, Heritage Foundation elsewhere, killed that. But they're gonna, we have to roll that nonsense back. There should be a high wall of separation between race and state. So you want to do whatever you want to do. I'm Armenian. I'm proud of that. That's, but that's my business. That's not somebody wants to have a birthday party for their girl when she turns 15. Again, do whatever you want. It's none of my business. That's a great thing. It has nothing to do with, as an American, what your political role is. Uh, and that's what we need to get back to. If we do that... We can, I think, again, with lowering immigration, uh, successfully Americanize the people who are here. But we've got to do both of those things. Yeah, I mean, at home, uh, growing up, we spoke Spanish. And, of course, we ate uh, tacos and enchiladas and everything else. But my parents were very adamant that we were American. When we walked out the door, we had to learn English. I'm not sure that that... uh, is going to be able to be happening with a population as large as we've got uh, of foreigners. Well, we got to try something. Yeah. And uh, and what you described, you know, I mean, I was in South Texas, spent a lot of time there um, this spring, uh, and it was kind of interesting because the it's. I mean, everybody speaks Spanish. It's like ninety-seven percent, you know, uh, Mexican background, but it's more. It's it's not a political thing. It's more like a regional culture, like Cajuns or something like that. In other words, everybody there's a patriotic American. They're veterans, law enforcement. They have the NRA stickers on their pickup trucks. They're Americans. And that's what we want to get to. And I think we can, but you're right that the left doesn't want that, doesn't want people to become Americans. They want people to be separate little boxes that they can kind of set against each other. So let me ask you this last question before we let you go. Many, many, many of our friends, my friends and listeners, keep wondering how the heck are we ever going to get this genie back into the into the bottle? This number of uh, well, first of all, ever gain control of the border, and secondly, what are we going to do with this number, huge number of illegal aliens? What can we do? First thing is, like you said, we got to regain control of the border. It can be done, although it's always easier to break something than to build it back up again. And what Biden did was break a border that was basically stabilized. It wasn't perfect, but it was working. It's going to take some work to get that to stop. New policies, detaining people who come over so word gets back that you're not just going to get let go. All of that can be done. Um, as far as the illegal immigrants who are here, I'm kind of a squish on that. It seems to me once we have in place the systems to make sure we don't have a lot of new illegal immigration, once we have E-Verify up and running, once we have entry-exit, check-in, check-out controls for foreign visitors, because that's a big part of illegal immigration. People come in, temporary visitors, and they never leave. Um, 
once we ban sanctuary cities, because that's an important problem too, then actually, like I said, I'm kind of a squish. I'm, I can live with legalizing the people who are here if we fix the problem so we don't have another 11 million illegal aliens a few years from now. Yeah. I mean, I remember uh, in the Reagan administration fighting tooth and nail. I fought against the idea of, of uh, amnesty in the 86 law. Because I felt that once you give amnesty, you're going to give amnesty a second time. (laughs) And see, the problem was the deal at that time was amnesty for people who had been here in exchange for the ban on hiring illegal immigrants. So we turned the magnet of jobs off. Well, people got the amnesty up front. The enforcement never happened. It's technically illegal on paper, and sometimes somebody gets punished for it, but not under Democratic administrations. And even Republican administrations weren't very good about that either. So so that's the problem. That's the reason that failure of that 1986 law, which was basically a kind of bait-and-switch, poisons the immigration debate to this day because no one believes the promises of the amnesty pro-amnesty people that this time they'll be for enforcement it'll be different this time it's like we don't believe you you're lying why would we believe that and you know the saying is fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me and um that's why george bush's amnesty push failed that's why obama's amnesty push failed and Biden had an amnesty bill he had introduced, but it was dead on arrival because they knew nobody was going to believe it. So instead, they're just letting people in and waving them in illegally, and they'll figure, well, we'll work out the amnesty part in the future. The main thing is to get as many people into the country as possible. We've been speaking with uh, our our good friend, Mr. Mark Krikorian from uh, the uh, Center for Immigration Studies. Mark, thank you very very much for taking time to me. Happy to be here anytime. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, or from Washington, D.C., excuse me. We're here at the FAIR conference, and uh, we've got a fellow San Antonian, Dr. Jeffrey Atticut, from uh, St. Mary's University, the Rattlers. Uh, at, uh, I wanted to ask him, because um, it was announced uh, this morning that uh, more terrorists have been caught. Now, these are the ones that have been caught uh, at the border than in the, the past five years. There have been more caught in the past three months than in the past five years. Uh, Dr. Atticut, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we expect our leaders to have common sense and and an understanding of, of keeping us secure. And obviously, this administration has failed in that regard. The 9-11 Commission report, written after 9-11, bipartisan, Republicans, Democrats, they said the number one failure was we didn't have an understanding about border security, you think? And now here we are 20 years later plus, and we are in a more dangerous situation now than we were before 9-11. The border is, there is no border. Um, and that's you know, basically 80 people on the terror watch list, which was established after 9-11, so we could you know, uh, understand where these people are coming from and what the threat is. And terrorists don't want to be caught. So you can probably triple or quadruple that number that have gotten into the country. Um, for example, in May of this year, we had an individual arrested in Ohio that was plotting to kill, assassinate former President George Bush in Texas. And he was arrested, and part of the interview said, yeah, I'm, I'm bringing people across the southern border to assist me in this plot. This is not a hard math problem. Uh, you know, radical Islamic extremists is still the number one threat for terrorism, not even close. Any other left-wing or right-wing group, not even close. And they want to kill us in very large numbers. They have uh, regained a foothold, of course, in Afghanistan, thanks to this administration's uh, policy of pulling out um, without any restrictions at all, just leave. Taliban's back in power. ISIS is rising again. Al-Qaeda's rising again. Um, they're coming for us. And if you're a bad guy, you're going to think to yourself, how do I get in? It won't be by airplanes. It'll be across the open southern border with a weapon of mass destruction. Is uh, this, this situation that we've got, uh, I mean, we have a, a, a um, migrant center in San Antonio, as you know, um, and uh, we have been talking to folks there, and they're not asked anything as far as their criminal background or uh, their political affiliation or anything of the nature. They're not asked anything. Uh, I mean, are, are we just setting us our, ourselves up? 
Well, the Biden administration is setting us up because most people understand, yes, I want to be secure in my home. I want to be secure in my community. I want to be secure in my country. And when you ignore the rule of law, and and that's what this administration has done, there's no doubt about it. Uh, No one's above the law. That chant, we hear that all the time. Well, I guess millions and millions of people are above the law. Um, Yeah, you're setting yourself up for another 9-11 style attack on the homeland. And again, terrorists, they're going to throw away their identity. Of course they do. I mean, they have a different agenda for coming into this country. And uh, and that's just a matter of fact. I mean, that's a matter of record. That's what the 9-11 Commission report. This is not me. Read the 9-11 Commission report. That was the number one condemnation was that we didn't pay any attention to the, to the border. And people just come in. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, another thing that uh, has uh, come to light is um, uh, it's been reported that Venezuela is now emptying out its prisons. Uh, this sounds like a replay of the Mariel situation back in the nineteen uh, back in nineteen eighty. Uh, your thoughts about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, when they and again, it's probably true. I have no reason to doubt it because if I'm a dictator and I've got people in jail and I don't want to deal with them, I'm just going to ship them off to the United States. I mean, why not? Uh, I don't have to feed them. I don't have to clothe them. And I've gotten rid of uh, people in the society that are undesirables in terms of murderers, rapists, arsonists. And, yeah, so there's no way for us to check. We don't have access to the Venezuelan criminal records. They're not giving us those. So, of course they are. Do you think we're going to be able to put the genie back into the bottle? Uh when the next uh, administration comes along, or if a, a more uh, logical and more uh, pro-security uh, uh, administration comes along, do you think we'll be able to counter all of this? Again, when we say we, it's, it's our leadership that's responsible to secure the border. That's what the executive branch is supposed to do, enforce the law. Uh, they have thumbed their nose at the law. This administration, President Biden signed, what, 90 executive orders that have weakened the border, opened the border, and they show no desire to, to do anything different. It's, to me, it's beyond comprehension. Why would you do this to your own country? I, I don't understand it. You got it. Uh, Dr. Attica, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us. Thank you, George. Howdy, folks. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and we're here at the uh, FAIR conference, and we're here with uh, Mr. John Zadrosky from uh, the America First Legal uh, and Foundation, is it? That's correct. And uh, I wanted to talk to him about, first of all, uh, what his aid, what his organization, what uh, his uh, group does, particularly about what seems to be active, uh, active encouragement of law breaking by by this uh, by the Biden administration, not only uh, with uh, immigration but other things like schools, like uh, uh, the encouraging people to uh, oppose uh, the new abortion ruling by the uh, Supreme Court, the various things. John, welcome to the show as usual. Talk to us. What do you guys do and how are you doing it? I mean, to to defend the law. Hey, George. Thanks for having me on. It's good to see you again, by the way. Uh, so we're, we're trying to tackle everything in, in, in a sense of uh, if we see a problem and we feel like the, the law is not being followed, whether it's at the federal level by the Biden administration, whether it's a state government, whether it's even a, a Fortune 500 company that's breaking the law, we'll hold their feet to the fire, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's an important service because the reality is that without litigation, I hesitate to use the word lawfare, but some people use it. Without using the court system against people who are breaking the law, the laws will go unbroken, uh, broken, unchallenged, and that's a problem. Uh, the left has worked this out to an art form. I mean, they, lawfare is basically, when I, having been in the Trump administration, I can tell you they sued us every five feet, and they slowed everything down. And at the end of the day, nine times out of ten, the courts are with us, but we lost two and a half years. And so for us, it's not about dilatory. It's about... If you're breaking the law, you're going to have to follow the law. We're going to make sure that, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander and all those metaphors. So um, we're in a lot of different spaces. We've got some cases in, in immigration uh, spaces. We've got a, a case still ongoing regarding Remain in Mexico. We've got a case ongoing about a rule where they're trying to basically gut the value of the asylum system and asylum law. But we're into other things, too. We're, we're suing a couple school districts for hiding their critical race theory nonsense from parents, basically telling taxpayers they can't see how their children are being taught. Um, and uh, we've got a lot of a lot of stuff going on, basically, George. It's almost too much to, to go over. The uh, this whole idea of uh, it seems like they're breaking 
the concept of law and order in the United States, uh, I guess, so they can replace it. I mean, they're, they are actively uh, destroying uh, the immigration system so that uh, they can rebuild it, I guess. Uh, or, I, I'm not sure exactly. I mean, but, but they seem to be breaking things. So, George, I've thought for a long time that what they're doing with immigration, and you're right, I think what Marxism's key tenet is break everything in civilized society and rebuild it in the image of what Karl Marx would have done. And so that's basically, you have to destroy the very basic things when people can't tell the difference between down and up, that you've, you've done a good job, and then they just rebuild it in their way. So when it comes to immigration, it's a particularly big problem. I've often said it's turns out when you spend 50 years aborting Americans in the womb, you're short about 63 million voters. And this is one of those things where I think the left might not have seen all the way down the road regarding uh, its abortion policy. They make a lot of money off of it. They have a lot of political power, but it's killed them demographically. And so when you have that kind of problem and Americans stop voting for your policies, you've got two choices. You can change your policies, change your worldview, and draw the people you've pushed away back into your, your camp. Or you can import 40 million new voters and try and overcome that. And I think that's what we're seeing. I think what we're seeing on the border is Joe Biden's attempt to import new voters and get around Americans who won't vote for them anymore. I think it's just that simple. They've done so in such an egregious fashion, too, that it's pretty clear, you know, you could make an argument for increased immigration. I don't agree with it. But, you know, they're not making a political argument that we should increase the number of people who come here legally. They've literally shut down national security to make it happen. And as a result, people are dying. And I'm not just talking American citizens. One of the greatest tragedies of what's happening now is the thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of foreign nationals who are dying in the Rio Grande Valley in flash floods, who are being killed by cartel members, who are dying in the desert on a 2,000-mile journey. The, the, the death toll is, we, we don't know the death toll, but it's huge, and that's on Joe Biden's hands. We uh, recently interviewed somebody that was coming through the Darien Gap uh, and said that they saw a multitude of bodies as they were coming through. Uh, it's very, very interesting to me, this uh, chant, this phrase that they are using, uh, that no one is illegal. Your thoughts? <laughs> well, it's adorable, except the reality is that people do come here illegally and people are breaking laws to enter the country. And the vast majority of the people, by the way, who they're letting in, what the Biden administration will say is, well, we're letting them in pursuant to their asylum claims. I'm telling you right now that hundreds of thousands of people who have entered do not have claims under our asylum law. Uh, the reality is asylum is reserved for a very specific group of people who are being persecuted, whether it's for religion or politics. They're a dissident. They're, they're challenging a totalitarian government. You know, they're a minority faith in a country that wants to have those people killed. Um, you know, most Americans think of when they think of refugees or they think of people seeking asylum, they think of the Soviet Union in the Cold War where people were fleeing communism. Uh, w wanting to make a little more money or wanting to be with your, your family in Chicago is not a grounds for asylum. Uh, and, and it's just it's what it has a negative effect too, George. Nobody ever talks about this, but I will. It has a negative effect on people who legitimately receive asylum in this country because it creates this impression that everyone who gets asylum is a fraudulent applicant that they're here through lies. It's not true. There are many people who deserve to be here, but the people who don't deserve to be here, um, they're breaking the law. They have no disregard, no regard for our law. And I, I have to ask the question: like, what, when someone their first act of contact with your country is violation of law? Really, what makes you think that down the road that's all of a sudden they're going to embrace law-abiding uh, law nature? Uh, you know, I know some people are in dire straits. You still have to follow the law. That's just the way it is. Poverty is not a, a reason to, to claim asylum. The, uh, the, uh, the other situation that we, we continually see is uh, not only the disregard for the law, but also they're trying to use the law for uh, purposes to sit, fit their agenda. For example, uh, your thoughts on the Bear County Sheriff, who is now uh, trying to find a uh, reason to prosecute uh, the governor of Florida for transporting uh, illegal aliens up to, um, up to uh, Mar Martha's Vineyard. Uh, while they've been doing it all along. Your thoughts on that? I mean, George, I don't even have the words for this thing. It seems like a PR stunt to me, the, the sheriff's comments. But what's really funny to me is how this has laid bare the left's total hypocrisy. Right? The sanctuary, the self-righteous, virtue-strutting sanctuary jurisdiction of Massachusetts and Martha's Vineyard, when they said no one's illegal and 50 people show up on an airplane, they scream bloody murder. 50 people show up 
on uh, at the border of every Mex every <laughs> every county that touches the Mexico border. They have fifty people an hour, mm -hmm. uh, and so it, it was really funny. Whether there's a, there's no suit there, it's garbage. It's kind of funny in a way, um, but you know, like there's this other suit where the uh, I don't know who put it together, but it, within forty eight hours of landing in Martha's Vineyard, um, a bunch of liberal attorneys filed a class action lawsuit for those those aliens in Martha's Vineyard saying they were lied to. Well, my understanding factually is that's false. There were waiver forms and everything, and I'm sure they were treated lovely on the way up. Uh, but you know what? If I was Governor DeSantis, I would have fun with this. I'd want to depose every single one of those aliens under oath and find out who paid for their journey, who they talked to, who was involved in this. This represents actually a golden opportunity to break open a smuggling ring and maybe throw some cartel members in jail in the process. Yeah, I mean, I have been doing interviews for 10 weeks at the Migrant Center of Migrants, and I have yet to hear of someone saying that they are being coerced to go anywhere. Yeah. You, the other thing that's funny, too, I have two other theories about why they're all upset, why the left is upset about this, these buses and these planes. One is that they're clearly sending them to red states on purpose to do some damage, um, whether it's just like cost or logistical damage. I actually think that they're upset that they won't be able to fraudulently vote in the fall. So, like, it doesn't really help the left to steal elections if, they, if they're voting in Martha's Vineyard. The other thing, too, is cartels, and I mean this literally, they're probably going to be upset by this because the reality is some of these people probably said, I'm going to find a way to get out of being under the cartel's thumb for the rest of my life because I don't think most people realize how it works. But most of these people are not... Um, they don't get here and then wander off and are free. The cartels have turned these people into slaves. And so someone's paying money. They're part of the illegal operation if they're writing a check to the cartels. Maybe it's the person themselves. Maybe it's a family member of the U.S. They'll take them halfway into the desert and say, turns out you owe more money. And they'll say, wait, I paid it. And they'll say, no, it's twice as much. But don't worry. You can make it up to us when you get to the United States. And these people run drugs. They become prostitutes. They basically turn them into slave labor. Uh, and I just find it, the, the same people who pretend to be these, these sanctimonious people who say they care about people, they have basically fueled slavery in the Northern Hemisphere because of it. They are the main source of it. So it's really got to stop. And I don't, I don't, you know, states have a role in this. We've got to start talking about the states standing up. I think we're 48 days out from a midterm election, but I think if people think Congress is going to be able to change anything in the next two years, they're kidding themselves. Solving this problem, solving the trafficking and the smuggling problems, solving the criminal conduct, solving the illegal entry. It's up to the states at this point. Folks, we've been speaking with John Zadrozny from the America First Foundation. John, from the America First Legal Foundation. I want to be sure I got that. John, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you so much, George. God bless you. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from the FAIR conference here in San, here in, uh, in Washington, D.C. And uh, we've got our good friends, Mr. Steve Camarado from uh, uh, the Center for Immigration Studies. He's the director of research. And... Um, I wanted to ask him about, because people, I mean, we're talking about to all of these folks coming across that a lot of them don't have uh, real technical skills, um, and there's going to be an impact for folks on the economy. I mean, there's no two ways on the labor markets. Uh, Steve, what are you finding? What What is your research like? What are you doing? Yeah, so I want to start with this. If I were to tell you or a graph what happen, what's happened with non-college educated men in America, native born. And the trend is basically the same, black, Hispanic, and white. And it's true in Texas, too, even though Texas is true in Florida. In other words, it's true pretty much this country, what I'm going to tell you. That is, if you graft the share who are in the labor force, which means they're either working or looking for work, uh, the fraction who are, who are in the labor force from 1965 to the present, if you graft it, it looks like a ski slope. It's just down, down, down. Used to be like 97% were in the labor force. Now it's somewhere in the low 80s, depending on your state. But Texas does not look great. Um, it's not the worst, but it doesn't. it's not good. So we know that there's all these guys who are neither working nor looking for work. And that means you're unemployed. The way we calculate unemployment in America is based on a survey every month. And that survey asks if you've looked for a job in the last four weeks. If you say you're not working, but you haven't looked in the last four weeks, then you drop out of both the numerator and the denominator, and you don't count. You're just out of the labor force and the growth of people. And you're still, but you're still receiving um, uh, unemployment. You might, you might be receiving yeah, okay. unemployment. You might be on disability. Uh, you might be living on your mother's couch. Correct. Um, you could be anything. But the point here is 
that there has been a huge growth, and we see that of people not in the labor force. So the unemployment rate's real low. Well, you know, there's nobody to work. But right now, there's 59 million working age people. So let's exclude the elderly. Let's exclude the young. 59 million people in America who are of working age, 16 to 64 who are not in the labor force, or not working. And that number was like 48 or 47 million back in 2000. If we had the same labor force participation rate in 2000, let alone what it used to be, we'd have 7 million more people in the labor force. The uh, This issue of cheap labor, I mean, has always been uh, at, at the heart of, of discussions regarding uh, immigration in general, uh, let alone illegal immigration. Um, is this administration, I mean, this administration is supposed to be very, very pro-labor unions, American workers, et cetera, et cetera. I don't see it. Yeah. Well, I mean, as someone from South Texas like yourself, you know the tradition that Hugo Chavez was very concerned about the labor market impacts of illegal immigration. If you increase the supply of something, in this case labor, you lower its price. If we were to graph real wages for non-college educated Americans for 40 years, it depends on the group you look at, but basically real wages, that is adjusted for inflation, are down, down, down. In some cases, they've stagnated, but no one's done better. The college educated have, but not the non-college educated. So what that means is they make less now. So if we're talking about roofers, if we're talking about meat and poultry processing, or we're talking about the checkout person at the grocery store, in general, since, you know, in the last 40-some years, they make less now adjusted for inflation than they they did. And that contributes to the decline in work. Um, You know, it makes work less attractive. Now, obviously, we have a problem with our welfare and disability system. The number of people, even young people, on disability has exploded. Right. That is bad. It's undermining work. I I certainly agree. Some people are legitimately disabled, but there's a lot of gaming of that system as well. Um, And so there's that. So why are these folks not working? Well, I think some of it is immigration, the job competition at the bottom end uh, 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 for jobs. Immigration also helps keep wages down and that undermines work. But there's another issue that I do think is important. Whatever the impact of immigration on the labor market, one thing's for sure. It lets us ignore this is a huge problem of idleness among men of working age and now increasingly of women. And you might say, well, maybe they're taking care of kids. No, the big declines are people who don't have kids. And anyway, fewer and fewer people have kids. That's not what's driving this decline in work. Um, and what are the consequences for Americans of not working? Well, we know that idleness and these people out of the labor force who work or maybe work only intermittently, it contributes to everything from the opioid crisis to the obesity crisis to crime, sometimes serious crime, but most certainly petty crime, breakup of the family, depression and suicide. Our suicide rates are way up. We have 100,000 opioid deaths a year, actually more than that now. You know, we used to have like 10,000 a year. And it's very heavily, though not exclusively, concentrated among who? The non-college educated people under the age of 65. Um, So uh, what I think immigration does create job competition. It does tend to lower wages. But the other thing it does, it lets elites and business ignore this massive decline in work. If we didn't have all the immigrants coming in, business community said, we've got to fix this problem. We've got to address it. Now, I'm not some Pollyanna here. I don't know that we could ever get back to the rates of work in the 1960s, right? But as I said, if we could just get back to the same labor force participation as 2000 for these working age people, we'd have 7 million more people in the labor force. And again, just to be clear, we're talking the working age. This has nothing to do with the aging of American society. Correct. The uh, um, COVID, what impact has COVID and shutting down businesses and then them reopening and a lot of people wanting to stay home and work? Uh, I mean, I, I guess, you know, that's not in the that, that's going to be more in the in the professionals, uh, I guess. But uh, still, I mean, uh, the, I, I see I see the impact on a lot of uh, of restaurants not opening up, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, what seems to have happened, obviously, labor force participation and unemployment, labor force participation went way down, unemployment way, it went way up. We do seem to have recovered in terms of unemployment. Mm-hmm. Um, but the labor force participation rate basically looks like it did in 2019. Bad. Now, it's not, you know, it, it actually looked a little better in 19 than it looked in 16. Immigration did fall during Trump's administration, new people coming. Right. And it does seem that labor force participation bud, uh, went up. 
like a point and a half or two. So, so that's sort of where we're at. We're at not quite the worst it's ever been, but nearly so. Um, so, um, so that's the good news. That's the good news. They're, they're, the, the numbers of people not working are still at records. But the point here is, so this social problem, I wish we had more politicians who would say, look, we've got to get more men, particularly, because when men don't work, it's a disaster for them and for society. And their decline has been enormous and long-term. It, it predates... You know, it predates COVID. It, it, it was really bad as a result of the Great Recession. But if you were to graph it from before the Great Recession, from 65 to 2007, you'd see the same trend. Men just don't work anymore. And it's partly a values thing. It is partly that the expectation that a man worked is gone. And it's not gone. It's diminished. And it's diminished in South Texas. It's diminished in rural West Virginia, and it's in diminished in New York City. It's a very broad trend in America, and it's very troubling. And I say it has a cascading series of consequences, and one of the things that's letting us ignore it is mass immigration. Steve, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us. And, and, and we need to, uh, we really, really need to, to uh, keep in contact with you because um, this issue of the impact on the economy, I mean, as it is, the economy is in bad shape. And then we, and we're adding 5 million more, you know, folks who we're not sure how they're going to work or whether they can work or will work. So, thank you very much. Any uh, closing thoughts, uh, or, or how can they follow you? Where can they follow you? Right, uh, at the Center for Immigration Studies, cis.org. That's our website, and you can go there, and all of our information is for free. And just remember, immigration is not the weather. Yes, it is hard to stop completely, like any problem. It's like saying, well, tax cheats, there'll always be people cheating on their taxes. But you can do a lot more to control illegal immigration. And it was at the border mostly under control before President Biden changed policy. Whether it's ending remain in Mexico, uh, curtailing uh, Title uh, 42, whether it's the changes in asylum law, or just the general announcement that we'd like to legalize all the illegal immigrants, all of these things has what has attracted people to the border. Let, let me say one other thing, if, you, if, if I may. We often think, or the media portrays illegal immigrants as simply victims of circumstance, you know, very, and we must never lose sight of their fundamental humanity. Most of them really are just in search of a better life. But what people seem to forget about illegal immigrants, or they seem unable to see them as, as also rational risk takers. And what the Biden administration has done with its policy changes is change their calculus. And it's just made a whole lot more people say, well, I'm going to try. I know that my chance of getting across is greater. So, yeah, it's dangerous to go. But if I get to the border, my chance of getting across is greater. If I get caught, my chance of being released is greater. And once in, I know I'm scot-free, basically. And that changed the calculus for these rational risk takers. So there's a lot more of them now. That's very true. We've seen it. Thank you very, very much, Steve. You've, you've done well. Thank you. Thank you.